and congressional leaders appear to have reached agreement on what is by far the biggest stimulus package in U.S. history. To the American people, we say big help, quick help is on the way. This will deliver urgently needed relief to our nation's families, workers and businesses. At the end of March, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, Congress passed the largest spending package ever in the history of the United States. And since then, Congress has pumped even more money into the economy in response to COVID-19 for a total of nearly $2.8 trillion so far. Maybe you saw some of that money in the form of a check from the IRS or extra unemployment insurance, or maybe your favorite restaurant was able to hire back its workers and reopen for takeout. But economists say that historic stimulus bill probably wasn't enough. And this week, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, said Congress may need to dig out the checkbook again. Here he was on CBS's 60 Minutes. Congress has done a great deal and done it very quickly. There is no precedent in post-World War II American history that's even close to what Congress has done. And the question is, will it be enough? So today we're going to get into why experts say it wasn't enough and what they say needs to happen next. That's coming up on this week's Skim This. There's a lot going on in the world right now. In this current climate, we feel like the best way to help you cut through the noise is to add context and clarity to the week's news. And also make sure we're answering the questions that are on your mind. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by The Great, only on Hulu. Okay, so like we said, the economic stimulus bills passed so far in the age of COVID-19 have taken huge historic steps. People who are unemployed because of COVID-19, including gig workers who typically don't qualify, are getting a boost in their unemployment checks. Millions of Americans making below a certain income each got a check for up to $1,200 more if they have kids under 17. Small businesses were told that they could take out special forgiveness loans so they could hire back staff and keep the lights on. It was huge, unprecedented spending to help Americans cushion the economic shock of the COVID-19 pandemic. But there were issues. The Washington Post has just posted a story saying that there are some glitches here in the Treasury's efforts to get checks out to millions of Americans. Most businesses were unable to get loans before the initial funding ran out, and a second round of loans faced computer processing delays. And while the stimulus checks and unemployment boost helped Americans do things like pay rent and cover bills, they ain't coming forever. Those stimulus checks were a one-time deal, and the extra federal unemployment insurance expires at the end of July. Many Americans say the extra money won't be enough. Late last Friday, the House went ahead and passed another spending package, the mother of all stimulus bills, clocking in at a whopping $3 trillion. It's called the HEROES Act, and it's not expected to pass in the Republican-led Senate, at least not anytime soon. But we wanted to know, what important things would this bill do? We called up some experts to find out. It's not that we necessarily need, you know, one or two or three trillion dollars passed today or tomorrow. The concern, though, is there are pieces that were missing from the previous bills that got zero so far. This is Dr. Jay Shambaugh. He's an economist who served on the White House Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama. 
Now he's the director of the Hamilton Project at a Washington, D.C. think tank called the Brookings Institution. Shambaugh says while the previous COVID-19 stimulus bills did quite a lot. There have been some holes and just some things that kind of got missed. And I would say the biggest one is a lack of support to state and local governments. See, almost every state is in some way required to balance its budget. That means they legally can't go into the red. They got to stick to the budget no matter what. Snaps for fiscal responsibility, but... When the economy goes into a recession, they're getting less tax revenue because people aren't out there spending, they're not earning as much money, all this. So their their revenue goes down, but they might even have extra needs in terms of public health measures and all this. And so the states and localities right now are facing this huge budget crunch, but they can't borrow money over the longer term. They can in certain ways. The federal government has the capacity to borrow really cheaply in large quantities right now. And so what we often like to see in a recession is the federal government to basically help out the states. So that's one major new thing the HEROES Act does. And it would be well-timed relief. Many states are scrambling to make ends meet right now because the next fiscal year begins July 1st. So they're looking for ways to avoid laying off public workers like teachers and police officers. The other big piece in there is extending the unemployment insurance provisions. This is the extra $600 the federal government is giving people who are unemployed right now. It passed as part of the original stimulus bill, but like we said, it expires at the end of July. It's a deadline every single expert we talked to brought up as a really big deal. We have this great support going out to people who are unemployed right now that's been really a lifesaver to a lot of families and individuals, Um, but it's going to end all at once. And so this bill extends it further on out, at least for the rest of the year. The third big thing Shambaugh says this bill does is it increases money for SNAP, a.k.a. the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. SNAP is a lifeline to 40 million Americans out there. It is crucial to combating hunger. And what we have seen in survey evidence so far, my colleague Lauren Bauer at the Hamilton Project has done work on this, has shown hunger is just spiking and hunger within families, hunger for kids. And we need to make SNAP more generous and we need to use SNAP more effectively. And the HEROES Act has some great provisions in there to make sure that families that are struggling are getting enough money via SNAP so they can feed their families and avoid hunger. Turns out that both extending unemployment benefits and giving more money to SNAP have broader implications for the economy beyond making sure those 40 million Americans are well-fed. What we know, the best way to stimulate the economy is, you know, the, the, the biggest bang for your buck, if you will, is to start at the very bottom. Who spends the most of their money? People on the lower end of the income spectrum. That's Henrietta Trays. She's a founder and managing partner and the director of economic policy at an investment research firm called Veda Partners. We monitor all the senators, all the congressmen, things that we think are really important, trade associations, the lobbyists, and understand what it is that D.C. is trying to enact so we can inform our investors and our clients about how they should invest their money. So it's a very um, nonpartisan, just give me the quick and dirty, count the votes, let me know how this is really going to play out. So the next stimulus bill that passes Congress, whenever that is, is one that she's tracking closely for her clients. We have a number of private equity, venture capital, and then global multinational manufacturers that are clients of ours. And to a man, they will tell you whatever, it ta- whatever the, the, the best thing for them is getting the most money in individuals' pockets. 
Because the more money consumers have means, hopefully, that they're spending it and putting it back into the economy. So those are three major parts of the House's new stimulus bill that experts say cover important ground, giving more money to states and local governments, extending federal unemployment benefits, and boosting the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Those last two, putting money directly into the pockets of Americans who need it the most and will hopefully spend it. The way to think about the HEROES Act more broadly is that this is your real stimulus. This is investment across the United States, across every sector, whether it's clean energy to education, broadband funding, help for healthcare workers doing telework. There will be what I anticipate is a much more robust infrastructure spending package, probably in late May or even early June as a separate component here. That's carrying America out of this. So far, we've got life rafts that are keeping us afloat, but we need now stimulus because this recession is predicted to last at least until the end of 2021, with unemployment persisting at 10% or higher rates until the fourth quarter of 2021. But like we said, at the moment, Republicans want to hold off on passing more stimulus bills. Trades explained why. The majority of Republicans in the Senate and the House strongly believe that there will be a V-shaped recovery to this economy. And that as soon as we start getting the country back to work, it'll rapidly rebound. Um, We probably overreacted to the coronavirus in the first place, and we will very rapidly come out of this. Um, That is not an opinion that is endorsed by the majority of economists. I certainly don't endorse it. But if that's their viewpoint, what, what we believe doesn't matter. That, if that's their view, then we're not going to get a bill anytime soon. Um, it'll also be smaller than what it had been. So as Congress continues to debate whether to pass another stimulus bill and how much it should spend, what are experts saying they should focus on? Shambaugh says we may expect another round of checks in the future. If the economy really does go south even further, or for that matter, just stay at a 15% unemployment rate for a protracted amount of time, then you probably want to do things like, you know, mail another round of those $1,200 checks um, just to get broad-based support to everybody, because the reality is a lot of people are suffering. We're an economy that doesn't need to suffer like this. You know, we know what good policy is and we have the resources. We're not bankrupt. We're not unable to borrow in markets. Markets are trying to lend to the U.S. government at the cheapest rate ever. This is a time that we should be taking advantage of that to help people out and help the economy out. Dr. Gloria Gonzalez-Rivera is a professor of economics at University of California, Riverside. She points out that we're still waiting to see how people will engage with the economy again. And the fact is that fear is a very powerful decision maker. Consumers might be too afraid to head back out into the real world and back to work, even as some states reopen businesses, which means whatever the next round of stimulus is may need to focus on covering the essentials. I keep on saying that access to shelter, access to health and access to food are three uh, main rights that the government needs to protect. Uh, Call it the HERO Act or call it the Rent Act or call it whatever. But uh, I don't think that in that sense we have done enough. And she echoes that as we approach that July 31st deadline for unemployment benefits, there is no real need for the U.S. to, at this point, wait. 
it's not going to hurt the economy to be uh, a little bit extra generous, if you understand what I mean by generosity, right? And eventually, uh, whatever we do for the population at large, we are doing it for all businesses in, in the American economy. So even if we have to go with a second package that is not fully needed, uh, it's not going to give us uh, any hurt or any damage. Shamba points out that while it's a great idea to extend the unemployment insurance provision to the end of the year, it's creating yet another deadline. Maybe the economy will be doing well in December of this year. Maybe not. And I'd rather than kind of bet on that, what I'd rather do is just tie the economic support to that, uh, to the unemployment rate, to some other economic data. So we can say, if the unemployment rate is really high, we do more. If the unemployment rate has come down, then maybe it's fine to let provisions taper off. That idea actually has a name. It's called automatic stabilizers. Rather than waiting for Congress to get its act together when the economy slows down, you could tie things like extra unemployment insurance to the country's unemployment rate. It kicks in when you need it and tapers off when you don't. It's an idea many economists have backed for years. And even though it's not in the House bill as it stands, it's one that is on lawmakers' minds right now. Our sincere hope was that many of those things would be in place before another recession hit. Obviously, this pandemic has struck a little faster than anyone really anticipated. And so... I think right now what you're seeing is a lot of people on Capitol Hill or a lot of policy types saying, hey, can we use these types of ideas of automatic stabilizers to make sure that the government is spending what it needs to spend when it's needed and then isn't spending when it's not? And that rather than kind of this kind of we have a big bill every month or two and then maybe as a presidential election gets closer, it gets harder to do those things. Let's just set this on a norm on a on the economic data rather than a political calendar. So what's the skim? Congress may have so far passed an unprecedented amount of money to help Americans cushion the blow of COVID-19. But economists say that's exactly what needs to happen to help the country deal with the shock and to carve out a path toward economic recovery. Last week, the Democratic-led House of Representatives passed what it thinks is the right next step a $3 trillion bill that would not only send another round of stimulus checks, it would also extend expanded unemployment insurance until early next year, strengthen the Paycheck Protection Program, and also do things like provide up to $10,000 of debt relief for private college loans until late next year. DC watchers say there's no way this bill would also pass the Republican-led Senate in its current form. But experts we talked to said the bill does include some important things that Congress should prioritize, including increasing SNAP benefits and giving more money to struggling states and local governments. So when can we actually expect another stimulus bill? Well, remember Henrietta Trays with Veda Partners. She's constantly in touch with congressional staffers. Here's her prediction. What we try to work with here are natural you know, man-made time stops, things like the Memorial Day recess or the August recess. And now the time has no meaning. It's really difficult for me to do that. But um, I would suggest that somewhere either just before the 4th of July or in the period between mid-July and um, call it the 29th or whenever they go on their August recess, that's when we'll see passage of this next bill. Coming up, you've probably gotten used to online shopping while in quarantine. We'll tell you why COVID-19 is changing the way we shop, maybe forever. 
That's next. Hey, history buffs and comedy fans and drama fans and, well, TV fans. We're excited to introduce you to a new show you won't want to miss. We're talking about The Great on Hulu, starring Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt. It's a satirical comedic drama about the rise of Catherine the Great. Watch Catherine transform from an outsider to the longest reigning female ruler in Russian history. All she had to do is kill her husband, beat the church, baffle the military, and get the court on her side. All episodes of The Great are now streaming, only on Hulu. You may have seen some headlines this week that stores you've probably shopped at before are going bankrupt. Stores like J.Crew and Models, as well as major department stores like Neiman Marcus and JCPenney, have all filed for bankruptcy since the COVID-19 pandemic began. JCPenney's preparing to close almost 30% of its stores in the next year alone. But filing for bankruptcy doesn't necessarily mean you'll never walk into that store again. So what happened here? Companies file for bankruptcy when they can't pay their outstanding debts. Filing for bankruptcy gives a business some much-needed relief from paying off the money they owe. But that relief is only temporary. And companies have to make some choices about how or if they think the business can recover. We asked Professor Nancy Rappaport, a law professor at the William S. Boyd School of Law at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, to walk us through the options. The most standard one is a Chapter 11, and that's like a J. Crew, like a Neiman Marcus, like a JCPenney. That's where the company thinks it can emerge in one form or another after the bankruptcy is over. Just because someone has filed for Chapter 11 doesn't mean that the store is going to shut its doors. You contrast that to a Chapter 7, which basically The debtor is throwing its keys on the table saying, sell what you want, I'm out. So keep in mind, most of these big retailers are filing for the first kind, Chapter 11. It's kind of like a company makeover. At least that's the goal. The restructuring process looks different for every retailer, and all the decisions go down in what's called a bankruptcy court. This process attempts to cut costs and focus on saving the business. And unfortunately, this might include layoffs and closing physical stores. Some stores, like JCPenney, were already struggling before COVID-19. So when COVID-19 forced these department stores to shut their doors, they filed for bankruptcy earlier than expected. But for others, like Hertz Car Rental, COVID-19 has dramatically affected their business because no one is renting cars. And that's forced Hertz to prepare to potentially file for bankruptcy when they may not have otherwise. So what's next for these companies? They're trying to figure out, do we have a viable business or have we lost market share for good? In the meantime, the impact on you, the consumer, may not be all that noticeable. It doesn't mean that they're going to slow down customer service, but what it will mean is that they're going to take a look, for example, at their actual storefronts to say, do we want to keep it or do we want to close it? But change is coming to the retail industry, even for companies that aren't declaring bankruptcy right now. Last month, a commercial real estate research firm called Green Street Advisors predicted that more than half of the department stores in U.S. malls will close by the end of next year. 
We talked to Vince Taboni, a retail sector head at Green Street, to find out more. We're expecting a lot of the healthier department store chains to close stores as well. And then some of the weaker ones are going to go through the bankruptcy process and we will see how they emerge on the other end or whether they do emerge on the other end. Physical department stores were already going out of fashion, but Taboni says the COVID-19 pandemic hit fast forward on that timeline. This is really accelerating a lot of disruption we thought was already going to take place. It's probably going to be a much worse outcome because it's going to happen so suddenly and so sharp. And this could impact your next trip to the mall, whenever that is. So department stores are very material to U.S. malls. However, they're actually pretty small in the grand scheme of all of retail. It's actually not that big of a impact to all of retail, but it is very impactful to the malls because they historically have been, you know, the traffic drivers to these properties. That has been increasingly not the case anymore. According to Taboni, these closures represent a larger shift in the way people are going to be spending their money. Department stores really made their model or gain, you know, kind of really gained popularity because they had a wide array of merchandise selection and offering. And when you think about it kind of in a world of e-commerce, that is almost no longer needed. It's just going to be, I think, continued shift away from physical shopping in certain cases and onto the online channel. Which means department stores are going to have to take a look at their business models to make sure they hold up with changing times. As for companies that have already filed for bankruptcy, they have to make decisions about how they can restructure in order to become profitable again. And now, some of the biggest retailers in the country have to make some tough decisions, like if they have to close physical stores or lay off employees to pay off their debt. So while you'll probably still be able to buy that jacket you've been eyeing, retail is changing in big ways. And that might happen sooner rather than later, thanks to COVID-19. Before we go, we want to answer one of your questions. We put out a call asking what are the questions about the COVID-19 pandemic that you still need answers on? And one thing you asked us to explain is how is COVID-19 more dangerous than the flu? Well, first off, experts say that it's not a fair comparison. See, even though both are infectious respiratory illnesses, they're actually caused by different viruses. COVID-19 is caused by a type of coronavirus, and the flu is caused by different types of influenza viruses. And while some symptoms of both the flu and COVID-19 are the same, like fever, cough, sore throat, fatigue, and body aches, our understanding of the symptoms for COVID-19 are still evolving and include things like losing your sense of taste or smell. And some research shows that COVID-19 is more contagious. When it comes to mortality rates, Research so far shows that COVID-19 likely has a higher death rate than the flu. If we look at the most recent flu season, which lasted from October to the start of April, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that during that time, up to 62,000 people died from the flu. Whereas, according to the CDC, over 90,000 people have died from COVID-19 in the last few months. And it's not yet known if COVID-19 is seasonal. So we don't know whether it'll be less severe in warmer months. 
The biggest difference between COVID-19 and the flu? There's a vaccine for the flu. Remember, we've had decades of time to research influenza viruses. We know what time of the year it'll normally hit, who's more at risk for complications from the flu, and that there are tried and true antiviral meds that can help ease symptoms. As far as COVID-19 goes, we're still working on a vaccine. And even though it's become a global effort, experts say we might have to wait till next year. And even that isn't a guarantee. So while both can be serious illnesses, they're very different. And one of the big differences when it comes to COVID-19 is that there's still a lot we just don't know. To keep up to date on the latest news, including headlines about COVID-19, head over to theskim.com world. And that's all for Skim This. We'll be back in your feed again next Friday. For next week's episode, we're actually tackling one major topic you've asked us about. We want to hear your burning questions about unemployment. You ask, we skim. Call us and leave us a voicemail at 646-461-6370. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more Skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com.